Thank you. If you take your Bibles tonight and we'll turn to the book of Nehemiah, Nehemiah. This morning, I asked you to turn to Nehemiah one and pastor was preaching out of Esther. So, you know, right where the book of Nehemiah is, it's right there. Tonight, the message is entitled A Place in God's Work, and I want you to go home with this idea planted firmly in your mind. Everyone has a place in God's work. You have a place in the work that God wants to do. Today, we're going to look or tonight. We're going to look at uh, Nehemiah chapter three. We began in Nehemiah chapter one this morning, and we're not trying to get through the whole book in one day, but we'll get through a couple chapters in one day. The first chapter we covered this morning. Looking at Nehemiah, was, his heart was burdened. He knew people. He saw the plight of his Jewish brothers in Jerusalem. He volunteered. said, God, I know you can do something. I trust you can do something. You are great and powerful. You can do something. Whatever you want me to do, I'll do that. Well, in chapter 2, we come down to where he had talked to the king. And the king Artaxerxes gave him permission to go. He also gave him provision. He said, you can have as much lumber as you need for the gates, for the house, whatever you need. You can have it. I'll even write some letters of protection so that way the governors along your route will help get you through their province and get you there safely. I'll even send an armed guard to accompany you across the the miles. This evening, I'd like to look at this third chapter because there's a, there's a truth that I think we can learn from it. Everyone has a place in God's work. Let's pray, and then let's look into his, his word this evening. Lord, we thank you for the opportunity to look into your word again this evening. Lord, thank you for the reminder earlier how we can trust your word, uh, that it has not changed since when you wrote it. And Lord, I thank you that we have a translation, a uh, faithful translation, that gives us your word with the message that you have for us. I pray, Lord, as we come now to look at this third chapter, Nehemiah, that you would open our hearts, work in our hearts, Lord, illuminate us as we listen uh, to your word. And I pray that we would be convinced and we'd be compelled to serve in the place that you have us in. Lord, we love you. Pray that you would bless this time now in Jesus name. Amen. Just a little bit of background. Um, Jerusalem had fallen on hard times. This was at the tail end of the Jerusalem captivity where the Jews had sinned against their God and God had scattered them across um, the, the world, really. Many Jews had been transplanted to Babylon. Daniel and his three friends were among those that were taken. It was a full 70 years that the Jewish captivity, that they were lived as a conquered people in Babylon. Enough time for generations to grow up, never having lived in the promised land. Just running some numbers, if today was the day that Nehemiah came back into Jerusalem Jerusalem had been captured in the year 1862, beginning of the Civil War. That's the time frame from the time that Jerusalem was captured to when Nehemiah is going back. Generations have lived and died. Zerubbabel was the first uh, leader to bring a group back to Jerusalem. That would have been the year 1932 in our context. A lot closer, but it's still 92 years later is when Nehemiah ends up with a third group bringing some Jews back to Jerusalem and seeing the temple, not the temple, um, but the wall of the city being rebuilt. God had a work to do. The temple had been completed and dedicated about 72 years earlier, but there was still such a need, such a great work that needed to be done. The city walls were in shambles and without walls, there was little protection from the enemies. There was little freedom and independence from those around them. 
There was not much identification. We can look at an outline, a silhouette of a skyline, and we can say, oh, that's, uh, that's Manhattan, or that's Washington, D.C., that's Chicago. In their days, the city walls would provide that kind of silhouette, and they didn't have much identification as the city of God. Although God is able, God didn't come down and rebuild it himself. The God who created the worlds could have just popped up some walls in no time flat and given it, but that's not the plan that he chose. I think about the plan of the Great Commission that God chose. He chose people to take the gospel to others. He could have sent angels. He could have sent any number of ways. God's, God's infinite. He could come up with a number of ways to let every man know that he is the Savior and that they need to trust in Jesus as their Savior for the forgiveness of their sins. But God decided to use you and God decided to use me. And that's the plan that he has. Nehemiah volunteered to go and the king allowed him to go and even sent him. In chapter two, we find Nehemiah spent time in private before he was ready to do anything publicly. And that's that's a lesson for us as well. But we don't have time to get into it. But Nehemiah went around that night and looked at the city walls and saw all the needs that needed to be repaired and, and this area and that area. And it talks about how he went around just to get the lay of the land. The last part of chapter two talks about how the enemies we're trying to, to discourage Nehemiah from doing a work. But Nehemiah said, no, let's arise. Let's build these walls. So what is it that we can do? In Nehemiah chapter 3, we run across. This is one of those chapters in the Bible that sometimes it's hard. Sometimes it's hard to get excited about reading. I'm going to turn my lapel mic on at this point. Sorry, I forgot to do that earlier. Is that working? Thank you. Chapter three is one of those chapters that you love to skip over when you read. Uh, you don't skip over. You just skim them real quick. Say all these names. I can't pronounce them anyway. And, you know, this this person, that person. And and they did a few things. And that's nice. And we'll move on to the exciting chapters. This is one of those chapters. But it is exciting because we learn a lesson that everybody has a place in God's work. And to me, that's a comfort because I'm not I'm not a Nehemiah kind of guy. I'm not a Daniel or a David or a Moses. I'm one of those unnamed people that you just, you just skip over in life. But there's a place for me in God's work. And there's a place for you. You say, I'm a nobody. There's a place for you in God's work. Around 10 years ago, an archaeologist announced he, that uh, she had uncovered what is thought to be part of Nehemiah's wall that was built here in this book. The wall that was dug out was about five meters thick. 15 feet or so thick. And Josephus, the historian, writes, if you walked all the way around the city wall, you would walk about four and a half miles. And now these were not put up with bulldozers and cranes. These walls were built with human labor. These people rallied around the leadership of Nehemiah and they went to work and they found something they could do. We find all sorts of people laboring on this wall. The rich, the poor, the social elite, the unknowns, but they all worked together and they all had a place. In God's work. And tonight we can identify with some of these folks. And so I want to look at a few of them as we go through and see how we might identify with them and say, you know what? They had a place in God's work. There's something for me to do in God's work. Now, it's not building a wall today, but it is being a part of the local church, reaching out, sharing the gospel, being salt and light in our community, being a blessing to those around us, being a mentor to those younger than us. There's a lot that we can do. So let's look at some of these folks. Uh, in verse 1, 
we come across the first group. Then Eliashib, the high priest, rose up with his brethren, the priests, and they built the sheep gate. They sanctified it and set up the doors of it. Even unto the tower of Neha, they sanctified it and unto the tower of Hananiel. The first group we run across are the priests. They're mentioned again in verse 28. Those who were responsible for temple worship were the first ones to roll up their sleeves and work hard. As spiritual leaders, others, um, others followed them to the task. And I learned from this, there's no spiritual snobbery in God's work. Uh, their eagerness and their willingness, they, just, they jumped in rather than saying, well, others can do the hard work. I'm a priest. Once they get the temple built, once they get the city walls done, I'm going to you know, worship God in the temple and I'm going to sacrifice the lambs and I'm going to do the things that the priests do. I don't have time to get my hands dirty with stone and with dirt and mortar and those things. That's not my line of work. I'm a priest. But here were some men who said, I'm not too busy to serve God in the temple to serve God building a wall. When it comes to the work of God, I think there's a lot less division between what is considered spiritual work and non-spiritual work. All work is God's work, if that's what God wants you to do today. You're doing God's will. If digging a ditch is what God wants you to do today, digging a ditch is God's will for your life. So that's not very glamorous. It's pretty neat to be able to do exactly what the Creator has made you to do. And to do it well, with excellence, with passion. So he's just digging a ditch. Yeah, he's doing it for God, though. All work is God's work if that's what God wants you to do today. And here, the work was not to be serving in the temple this day. It was to be out building a wall. Everything we do should be for the purpose of glorifying God. So when we come to church on Sunday, which is more important? Preaching the message or picking up a piece of trash on the sidewalk? Teaching the adult Sunday school class or helping children behave in the back of the children's class? Is it more important to pray in the service or to say a friendly hello to folks that come in the door? Which one's more important? You say, well, they're all necessary. You're right. And if God wants you to do it, you are doing what God wants. That's God's work. In the church, God's established the pastor to be the leader. And he has responsibilities to lead, preach, counsel. And uh, we learn in the book of Acts how God gives the deacons to help with some other, you know, serving tables and such, taking care of some of the physical needs that were happening in the church. Um, I know for myself, my home church, and I believe your church is the same way. You have a pastor that rises up. He rolls up his sleeves. He doesn't say, I'm too good for this. I'm the priest. I'm too important to do that kind of work. I have a pastor that's willing to stack chairs after a fellowship, willing to sweep the floor, willing to get his hands involved in doing whatever is needed to be done. And I, I learned from that. There's no need to be snob, snobby about God's work. So the priests are out here. They're working hard on the wall. We would do well from them to, just to learn the initiative. They were first in line to get going. And in verse 2, it says, Next unto him builded the men of Jericho. Now, we're not going to go through the whole chapter verse by verse. If you were concerned about that, uh, we're not going to do that. We're going to skip around from here on out. But in uh, verse 2, the men of Jericho built. Jericho is about 20 miles away, over 20 miles away from Jerusalem. Down in verse 7, you find that there are... Um, the men of Gibeon and of Mizpah, that they helped on the wall. Gibeon is a city about five miles away, and Mizpah is ten miles away. Later on, you're going to find Tekoa. There's a group of people from Tekoa. They're about seven miles away. 
So there's groups of people who come from all over to help build the wall around Jerusalem. And from this I learned there's not a territorial attitude in God's work. Sometimes we get this idea, well, it's like, this is our church. This is our community. This is our town. You stay out of it. I remember one time we were out doing some door-to-door visitation and a church van from another church about 10 minutes away, he rolled alongside it. He was half joking, but the man rolled down his window and he said, hey, this is our territory. You go door knocking your side of town. He was half joking, but he was only half joking. And I thought, there's no territorial attitude in God's work. Say, hey, God has me here for a purpose. I'm going to do what God puts in front of me. And if God brings somebody alongside and God uses them, that's God's doing. I'm going to preach. Apollos can preach. Paul can preach. Cephas can preach. And we're all going to get along together. There's not a territorial attitude here. The men from other cities realized Jerusalem was the place where God had said his name. And we want to get in on that. We want to establish that. We want to help out in this area. I can't think of, but, but think of missions. There's people in other areas that wanted to do God's work in this area. And you, ha- you support missionaries all over the world. You say, you know what, I'm going to be involved in Russia. I'm going to be involved in Israel and South America. I'm going to be involved in Britain because I want to see God's work go forward there. And that's, that's what the, these men were doing. They came over to help out. In verse 5, verse 5, we're going to skip down a little bit. Next unto them the Tekoites repaired. They're from the city of Tekoa, about seven miles away. But their nobles put not their necks to the work of the Lord. For some reason, the nobles of this group of people refused to get involved. They didn't harness up and get into the work. Maybe they, maybe they kind of, you know, stood around the water cooler. Maybe they said, we'll be the supervisors. I don't know, but they didn't, they didn't get into it like, the, like everyone else was. Maybe they thought, well, we're nobles. We don't know how to swing hammers and chisels. We don't know how to carry buckets of debris. and We don't know how to do this kind of work. None of us are too important to work for the Lord. You say, well, you know, I have a degree in this or that or the other. Well, God can use that. You, know, you can set that aside and God can still use you. God can use you with the degree. None of us are too important to work for the Lord. Maybe they thought, we've never done something like this before. We, we're used to cushy, cushy jobs. You know, we're nobles. We just kind of sit around and, you know, scroll on our phone or on our tablets. And we just, we don't really do much manual labor. So we don't know how to do that kind of thing. We should not limit God's abilities to use us by saying, oh, I've never done that before. Hey, get involved. And, and you can learn as you go. For whatever reason, these nobles excused themselves from the work. And Nehemiah took notice and he wrote that down for all of us to read. I wouldn't want that kind of report on my report card for eternity. Uh, Verse 9, verse 9, let's skip down there. Uh, It says, Next unto them repaired Rephiah, the son of Hur, and the ruler of the half part of Jerusalem. And then in verse 12, next unto him repaired Shalom, the son of Helohesh, the ruler of the half part of Jerusalem, he and his daughters. So both rulers of Jerusalem, I guess the, the, both of them were over different parts of Jerusalem. And then in verses 14 through 19, you find ruler after ruler. In verse 14, it says the ruler of part of Beth Haxarim. And then in verse 15 is the ruler over Mizpah. 
uh, down in verse 16, the ruler over the half part of Bethzer. In verse 17, after him repaired the Levites, Rehum the son of Bani, excuse me, next, next unto him repaired Hashabiah, the ruler of the half part of Keilah in his part. Uh, verse 18, the ruler of the half part of Kaliah. Verse 19, the ruler of Mizpah. One after the other, after the other, you find all these rulers of cities working on the walls. Politicians working, building a wall. Here they are, laboring, working hard. In verse 12, I love this, um, Shalom, he and his daughters. He brought his daughters to work. You know, I have three daughters, and they're going to get involved. Uh, one of them sang Shiloh, the other ones are nursery. And I want them to get involved and enjoy serving the Lord. So I'm going to bring them along. There's place for women to work in God's work. It's not just a man thing. There are things that my wife can do that I, I could live 100 years and never accomplish but that God's fitted her for that kind of ministry. And there's a place for everybody. In verse 4, if you would turn back to verse 4 with me, uh, next unto him repaired Merimoth, the son of Urijah, the son of Koz. If you study it out in Ezra, you find out that Merimoth's family were descendants of priests. And his father had returned in the first return to Jerusalem. He was ready to get back to the promised land after being exiled. And so he comes, here, here's a man who grew up in a spiritual family. And he said, I want to get involved. You know, young people, you might have mom or dad in church. You might have mom and dad in church. Just because they're in church doesn't mean that you're going to serve God. It doesn't mean you're just going to turn out and one day you're going to be in church with your family. Every young person has to decide for themselves. I'm going to serve God. There's a place for me in God's Word. I don't know what it is yet. I feel like maybe I don't fit in here or whatever, but... There's a place for you in God's work. Decide now, as a young person, I'm, I'm going to serve the Lord. I'm not just going to wait till I get out of the house and then I'm going to go live however I want. I'm going to serve the Lord. So here's a man who grew up in a spiritual family. There's a blessing when you have that kind of heritage. I have that kind of heritage where my parents were both saved. They were saved when they were young. My grandparents, I believe all four of them were saved. There's a blessing there because you can grow up without some of the, the baggage that you might have had had you not had that. God saved you from sin rather than saved you out of some sin. And there's such a heritage. And you know, you can go far. Merimoth, he didn't just work on one part of the wall. In verse 21, would you read with me? After him repaired Merimoth, the son of Uriah, the son of Koz, another piece. He said, you know what? One part of the wall isn't enough for me. He said, Nehemiah, I'm done. Where do you want me to go next? Nehemiah says, well, come out, help over here. He, he, had, he had the energy. He had the, um, the ability to not work on just one piece, but he said, hey, I want some more. I got my work done. Can I do some more? There's always room for some more. Um, Merrimoth teaches that. We almost personally choose whether we're going to serve God with our lives. And Merrimoth had to decide, it's not good enough my parents were priests, my grandfather, my great-grandfather were priests. I want to serve God today. Because we can look back over 40, 60, 80, 100, 200 years and we can say, well, you know, the great revivals that came to America, the great missionaries that were sent out, and, and the, the good old days and the golden yesteryear. Well, God has something today that He wants to do. And God will use you and God will use me 
me to do it. So let's jump in. If you look down in verse 27, in verse 27, we, we see a name that we already saw. After them, the Tekoites repaired another piece. This is the same group where the nobles didn't really get into it, but, there's, but here are the people who are still getting on board. And they didn't just do one piece. They said, let's go do another piece. And so from this I learn, just because you didn't grow up in church or your parents didn't have much to do with God doesn't mean that you can't. Just because you don't have that kind of spiritual heritage that Merrimoth had doesn't mean you can't get involved right alongside. Oh, we shouldn't let our past dictate our future because God wants to change us in the present. God wants to do a work in our life now. And we can decide, you know what? That was the past. That's what I was handed. God, would you enable me to look up and to follow you in the future? And here's a group of people that said, you know what? The nobles aren't doing the work, but we're going to get involved. We're going to decide for ourselves. We're going to jump in. Several places we find families working together. This is neat. Verse 12, we already read it. Shalom, he brought his daughters to the work. Uh, In verse 3, uh, we skipped over it. Verse 3 says, The fish gate did the sons of Hanasana build. So there's a group of brothers working together, a clan working together to get the job done. Isn't it neat to work together as family? I love it in our home church when families sing together. Uh, we have special music often and, and we have several families in the church that, that just come and they sing together. And it's so neat. Dad, mom, a couple brothers, sisters that are out there and they're singing together. They're serving the Lord together. That's so neat. I love to see that. To see families come and worship the Lord together. Uh, in verse 8, we meet another group of people. We meet um, the goldsmiths. Next unto him repaired Aziel, the son of Harhai. If you can pronounce these words better, would you raise your hand? Because <laughs> you'll bear with me. Thank you. Um, next unto him repaired Aziel, the son of Harhai, uh, of the goldsmiths. So here are some goldsmiths. And then if you look later on, the apothecaries. So those are the pharmacists of the days. Apothecary, I'm sorry. Apothecaries. Those are the pharmacists of the days. Um, later on in verse 31 and 32, you find people that were merchants that had laid aside their business and come to work on the walls. Here are people that are skilled laborers, that had some special talent, some special ability. And they said, you know what? I have that ability. I have that talent. I'll use it for God as God needs it. But right now, God's work requires some manual labor. There are people in this church, no doubt, that have special talents that God can use. God gave you spiritual gifts. He gave you natural talents to use for his glory. And here are some people that set aside their tools and medicine bottles. And they said, you know what? We're going to do what's needed. Not just what I'm good at or what I enjoy doing or what I'm skilled at doing, but I'm going to do what's needed. I think pastor would appreciate having somebody say, you know what, pastor, what do you need done? And he'll look at you and say, well, what do you like doing? No, he usually says, well, here's a few things that might need done. And here are some people that said, I'm skilled at it. I like it. This is my job. This is my line of work. But a wall is what needs built. So that's what we're going to go and do. And they were willing to get involved, whatever was necessary. In verse 13, we run across another group of people. This is our last group that we're going to look at, by the way. Uh, the valley gate repaired Hanun and the inhabitants of Zenoah. They built it, set up the doors thereof, the locks thereof, the bars thereof, and a thousand cubits on the wall 
unto the dung gate. These people built 1,500 feet of wall, 15 feet thick. Imagine how much weight that is. How many stones and blocks and, and mortar they would have used for that. A tremendous amount of work that this group of people did. Now, you might have been part of a group of another team working, and you said, oh, they got the easy spot to build. You know, everything's already level. They don't have to level the ground first. And they're right next to the quarry. They could just bring the rocks right up and put them in place. We have to drag them, you know, miles all the way to where we're building our part of the wall. And God gives people different abilities, different talents. And these folks, boy, they got a lot done. 1,500 feet of wall. And you might say, well, you know, I didn't build as much as they did today. That's Okay. God gave them ability and God gave you ability and, and it looks like they're using their abilities for the Lord and, and we should use our abilities for the Lord and be all in 100% and God's going to get done what He's going to get done with me and God's going to take care of everything else and it's all going to come together if I'm involved 100%. The key is, am I using the abilities to fulfill the opportunities God's given me? That was the last group of people. I want to look at one individual in verse 20. In verse 20, after him, Baruch, the son of Zebai, earnestly repaired the other piece. You find this word earnestly. You find all throughout the chapter, they, they built and they repaired and they did this. But here's a spot where it says he earnestly did it. This word earnestly means to burn or to be hot or to be furious. Baruch was not the guy who came in, you know, 10 minutes after the bell chimed and said, oh, okay, what are we working on today? No, I think he was a guy who was there a little bit early. Maybe he worked a few minutes during his lunch break. He was saying, you know what, we're going to come in. And he was thinking at home, he's like, okay, you know, we got this and you know, I got to get this stone to fit into this stone here. And, I, and he's laying out all the plans in his mind. And he was ready to go. And he was earnest. He was angry as he was working. Not angry in sin, but angry. I'm going to get this job done. And he was ready to go. He had a one-track mind that thought of nothing else. And Nehemiah noticed if you were Nehemiah, or you're with Nehemiah, you're up watching, you've seen all these folks working on the walls, there's one guy that's standing out. It's Baruch. He's earnestly working. He's not just lollygagging. He's getting the job done. And that's something that we could do too. Now say, well, you know, another day, another dollar. We'll just go in, we'll clock in, we'll do our work for the Lord, and we'll clock out, and we'll go home and do the same thing tomorrow. No, he said, wherever I am, I'm going to be all in. I'm going to be passionate about what God wants me to do. And we have that. And that label is on Baruch's name. Baruch lived up to his name. It means blessed. He not only was blessed by the Lord, but he was a blessing to others. I mean, isn't it encouraging when you're, um, when you're singing in church and it was a hard week, you know, your cat died. Maybe, maybe your dog died. Maybe you're happy if your cat died. I don't know. Um, you know, it's, just, it's a tough week. You know, things aren't going well at home with the kids, at, at work. Uh, you know, just you're not sure how ends are going to meet. And, and you're just coming in. You're supposed to sing a song. Well, you know, the brother comes up. Oh, let's sing to God be the glory. Great things hath he, he hath done. Wow. And then you look down the pew and you see somebody who you know that they're struggling to. And they're just singing. And to God be the glory, great things He hath done. You know what? My life isn't perfect, but what great salvation He has given us through Jesus, His Son. 
And they're just singing away. They're wailing away. You know, they can't hit half the notes anyway, but they're, they're into it. They're singing. Isn't that a blessing and encouragement to you? You say, you know what? I can still praise the Lord. Singing, I love, I love singing. Uh, music director at our church for the last five or six years. And I love to see people singing. And the ones I love to see singing most are the ones who say, you know what? I'm going to praise the Lord. I'm just going to lift my voice. Whatever voice I have, I'm going to sing with my heart. I'm going to sing earnestly. That's the kind of guy that you would want to work next to. You don't want to work by the guy that's always griping and complaining about his tools and the lack of the weather and everything. You want to work by this guy who say, hey, I am involved and I love it and we're going to get the job done. I want to be that kind of guy for others. We can identify ourselves, I believe, with some of these folks that built this wall. Now, today, the job is not to build a wall. The job is to preach the gospel to every creature, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, and to teach them to keep all of His teachings the teachings of the Word of God. And God has a role for every one of us. Romans 12 talks about the role of a church body. Um, preaching, teaching, encouraging, giving, coming alongside and helping, administration, helping the hurting, showing mercy. There's many members in a body and God puts them together how He wants them to be. And in this church, you're one of those members. You get to be part of God's work here in Alexandria, Virginia. And God has something for you to do. Each one of us are necessary for the work. Just three observations from Nehemiah chapter 3 in conclusion. Number one, let's work together. Can you imagine one group of of them working on the wall and they say, we're going to build it here and then we're going to kind of have a dog leg and have it kind of jut over this way. And the group that's working next to them say, no, 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 no. We're just going to keep it going straight through. You know, we want a nice parallel sight line so that way it looks beautiful when we're all done. Can you imagine there? Well, we're just going to do our own thing. You do what you want to. We'll do it. And, and, you know, it'll work out in the end, right? You know, those, when those wall, wall sections had to come together, they actually had to fit together. They have to join together. Let's work together. Hey, well, I'm not, I don't have the same ability and talent. You do your thing. They'll do their thing. And do it in a way where you're working together. The work of God requires Unity. These people had a common goal. We had to work, they had to work side by side. You find it 28 times in the chapter. You find these phrases, after them, or after him, or next to him, or next unto them. All these people working together side by side to get the job done. I imagine sometimes they say, no, let's cut the stone this way. They say, well, they figured it out and they got the job done. Psalm 133, 1, behold how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. I understand this verse much more having three girls. It's so pleasant when the sistren dwell together in unity. When they're playing together and they just have cheerful voices and they're sharing toys with each other. It doesn't happen often, but I love it. It is so sweet sounding and it's beautiful. Now the converse is not beautiful. But it's so beautiful when there's unity. And God's pleased with unity. Ephesians 4.3, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. When each person walks in the Spirit, he keeps the unity and there's peace. Of course, unity is only possible if you're in agreement about what you're building. Okay, We can't, we can't join up with the Catholic Church and say, well, you know, we're not on the same foundation. We can't build alongside of the, the Jehovah's Witness. Totally different. 
We're building two totally different things. We're working for the Lord and they're, they're doing their thing over there. So we, there has to be a common ground, a foundation. When you find somebody that, and you find a church that say, you know what, we're going to agree on what the Bible says, who God is. We have the same beliefs. Let's unite. Let's go together. Let's get the job done. Let's work together. Number two, let's be content. Every person had a specific place on the wall. And every place on the wall needed to be rebuilt. And each person had a specific role, I believe. Um, some would have to clear debris away to make the ground ready to receive um, stones and whatever else they're using. Other people had to carry materials. They had to fit everything together. They needed a supervisor who to make sure the wall is going the way that it needs to be going. And everybody needs to eat and drink. So we need somebody to haul water and somebody to cook food and bring food. And later on, you find when the enemies are going to attack, Nehemiah splits them up. So you stand guard and you work and then we'll trade places. And Nehemiah and his, his cohort, they don't even stop to take a bath for days because the enemies are, the enemies are, are right there. But wherever you are, let's be content. Say, well, they have the easy part to build. It's okay. God, God put you on this part because he needed you on this part. So let's be content. Let's do what God has called, called us to do. The roles, the places that God has given us. Paul writes this when he sits in prison. Not really the place I want to be, but this is the place Paul was because he was out preaching the gospel. He writes this as he sits in prison. Not that I speak in respect of want, for I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. The only discontentment Paul shows is that he wants other people to be saved and for him to be with the Lord. But everything else, Paul said, I've learned to be content, even as I sit here in prison. Lastly, let's be faithful. The men and the women that worked on this, on this wall, they were faithful. They, they were in their place and they completed their section. Who's going to do our job if we neglect to do it? And imagine you came to church today and you say, oh, I forgot my left hand at home. What am I going to do? You can do a lot of things without your left hand, but you can't do everything you want to do without your left hand. But imagine church gets together and, oh, brother so-and-so is missing today. Or sister so-and-so is missing. And it's not because they're out with sickness or you know they have a, they're traveling or something. They're, they're just not coming to church. You know what? Maybe you don't know it, but the body's going to hurt. The body's going to miss out without them without you. So let's be faithful. Maybe we're in our place in church, but we're not really here. We're just kind of going through the motions. I know I'm supposed to go to church on Sunday. That's what I do. And I just come in and I just kind of coast. Well, that's not going to help any more than having something that's paralyzed hanging off your shoulder. Say, you know what? I'm going to be here. I'm going to be involved. Everyone has a place in God's work. So let's work together. Let's be content. Let's be faithful. For the last five and a half years, the Lord had my family and me working in Shelby. And now he's commanded that we go to another place to do his work in Brazil. And we're packing up our tools. We're getting ready to go. Would you work together with us by praying for us? We can't do the work that you're doing here in Alexandria, but we can pray for you and cheer you on. Would you be content to do what the Lord puts in front of you? Right now, it's here. Perhaps one day well, God will work in one of your hearts to go to a mission field, the other side of the world. And I challenge you, be content. Be content here, and then be content when he says go. Let's be faithful wherever we are to do the work of the Lord, because there is a great work to do, and you have a place in it.
Let's pray. Every head bowed and every eye closed. Pastor, if you would come. Every head bowed and every eye closed. You're here tonight. You're a Christian. You know Christ. God has laid on your heart that you need to do something more or you need to do something, period. And God has laid something very specifically on your heart tonight or a burden to do something more for him. Raise your hand. Let me pray for you. Yes, 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 yes. Wonderful. It's good to see Older folks, I was talking to a, a military guy this week, uh, two, two guys at uh, 9-11. They tried to go back and, uh, and re-up, and the military looked at him and said, You're old, and it's good to see young people raising their hands with a desire to serve the Lord. God has a place for you if you'll, if you'll get prepared. Young, young men, God has a place for you. Let me pray for you. Father, I pray that you would uh, help us to get a greater vision for what you would have us to do here in Alexandria, we pray for especially uh, the young men uh, that raise their hands this evening, that you would inspire them to get training and get busy and to do something more for you uh, right now, uh, not, not wait next year, but to get busy uh, today. We pray for all of our folks, Father. They have a burden. They want to serve you, uh, and they're wondering what that place might be. I pray that you would help them, reveal that to them, and help them to excel in that area of service. With every head bowed and every eye closed, you're here tonight, but you do not know Jesus Christ as your Savior. You are not on your way to heaven. And God has spoken to your heart this evening very clearly, grabbed a hold of you and said, you're the one. And preacher, would you pray for me? I'm not saved. Slip your hand up. Hold it up for a moment. Let me pray for you. Let's stand to our feet with our heads bowed and eyes closed. The altar is open. The piano is playing. God has called.